Welcome to the Apologia Podcast, the audio-only archive of the Apologia YouTube channel. Note that some content was designed to go with visuals, but the imagination can be a powerful thing. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider giving it a 5-star rating on the podcast app you're using now to help us reach more people. Or, since this endeavor is ad-free, consider going a step further and supporting us for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash But for now, let's get to the episode. Part of the Apologetic series, posted April 12th, 2022, titled, Christian Doctors Accidentally Affirm No Resurrection Required. Sean McDowell response. Can the appearances of Jesus be explained as hallucinations? I guess that depends on which appearances you're talking about. Is it possible that at least some of the apostles, including Paul, were primed for this, so maybe the likelihood that they had it would be higher than the general population? It's possible. It's possible. It's possible. possible. It's possible that they had some predisposition towards hallucination. The more I think about it, yeah, it's possible. It's possible. Why don't you go find out? It's getting dark out here. Yes, sir. Welcome to Apologia, where a former Christian takes a look at the claims of Christians. Whether Easter season or not, the claim that Jesus rose from the dead has been central to Christianity ever since the Apostle Paul put his stake in the ground. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. Now, some who are skeptical of this miracle, including myself, have posited that individuals in history who believe they saw risen Jesus may well have been hallucinating. And recently, Dr. Sean McDowell had two medical doctors on his show to discuss the plausibility of this notion. Can the appearances of Jesus be explained as hallucinations? This is arguably one of the leading naturalistic explanations for the resurrection hypothesis. So far, so good. Can the stories of the appearances of Jesus be explained as hallucinations? Well, the stories of the appearances of Jesus are best explained as legends that developed in the years and decades after Jesus died. The relevant question is, might those legends have initially been inspired by hallucinations? Let's narrow down, so to speak, to the question of hallucination, a scientific claim that that explains the appearances of Jesus to the apostles. Wait, why would we be trying to explain the details of the Christian story? If the story is a legend, then some of the details will be legendary. If we are assuming that the scriptures are 100% true, then, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just unlikely that that those predisposing uh, experiences that, that we think were hallucinations or, or critics say were hallucinations. Wait, why are we assuming that the scriptures are 100% true? The scriptures say Jesus rose from the dead. So if they're 100% true, this is a pointless conversation. It would be like saying, assuming that Superman comics are 100% true, could Superman sightings be explained as hallucinations? Um, no. Or, assuming that the murder suspect's statement of denial is 100% true, could he have committed the murder? Definitionally, no. Obviously, we don't test the truth of a story by first assuming it's true. This is a fallacy called begging the question, assuming the conclusion. Did Sean and his doctor guests really spend an entire hour just 
begging the question? Some of you might be thinking, well, wait a minute. We don't think the Bible is 100% accurate and reliable, as Dr. Koenig said. Maybe it's legend. That's exactly what we're thinking. And I would say, okay, that's a different claim that we would then have to assess by different criteria. Different criteria, indeed. We test the truth of a story by looking at the external factors and external data and seeing how well the story lines up. In an ideal world, a story would make unique predictions about future data that could be found that would either affirm or falsify the details. I can't fathom what individual would grant that the Bible is 100% correct, yet simultaneously propose that the appearances were hallucinations. How tiny must be the sliver of demographic that this could possibly be addressing? Is there anyone else asking, or is it just you? But despite this mission of utmost triviality, I would like to propose that Sean and his doctor guests inadvertently created a video of great affirmational value to my particular no-resurrection-required hypothesis for the origins of Christianity. I've gone through this explanation a few times before, including the recent report card session with world-renowned Bible scholar Dr. Bart Ehrman, so you can check that for details. For the purposes of this video, what's relevant is the proposal that A. Peter, and Peter alone, had an experience that he sincerely, but mistakenly, attributed to seeing resurrected Jesus. B. Based on Peter's sincerity, others came to believe that they too saw Jesus. C. Years later, Paul had an experience that he sincerely, but mistakenly, attributed to seeing resurrected Jesus. Everything in the verifiable history of Christianity is fully sufficiently explained by a single person who honestly believed Jesus rose, who then convinced others, based solely on his or her mistaken conviction. And several years later, Paul misattributing an experience. That's it. While I'm not dogmatic about the exact nature of these two experiences, it matters only that they were mistaken. Hallucinations and delusions are plausible, well-supported candidates with excellent explanatory power. The first favor Sean's video grants is some basic definitions of terms. What is a hallucination? We can call them perceptions that occur in the absence of what we would say is a corresponding external sensory stimulus. Now, experientially, they're often vivid and clear, and they, there's this full force and impact of normal perceptions, but they're not under voluntary control, and they can occur in any sensory modality. Hmm. The person experiences them with the full force and impact of normal perceptions. It can seem just as real as regular external sensory experience. Are these common? Hypnagogic hallucinations, like when someone's going to sleep, are really pretty darn common in the general population, 37%. Hypnopompic hallucinations, that's when you're waking up, right? Um, they're relatively common, 12.5% in the general population. Have they been underreported or underdiagnosed in the past? Many people keep quiet about these phantom images for fear they're going to be labeled with dementia or having a psychiatric problem. And so their hesitancy to speak up really can explain why hallucinations were thought for a long time to be relatively uncommon until more recently. What are some medical reasons someone might hallucinate? There's a whole host of them, but I'll list some of the common ones. Delirium, migraine. There's a thing called visual release phenomenon. It's typically manifesting in this impaired vision like we just talked about. Um, but alcohol and drug-related conditions, seizures, 
dementia, any of these central service, there's a number of central nervous system diseases that can do it. And particularly if they affect the visual cortex regions of visual pathways, especially in stroke, stroke's really uh, an issue. And then of course, the psychiatric conditions that Harold will talk about, psychosis, schizophrenia, narcolepsy. Unfortunately, the doctor seems to have selectively left off some of the mundane contributing factors like lack of sleep, anxiety, depression, social isolation, grief, and suggestive religious forces, all of which might reasonably apply to Peter in the hours and days after his master's public execution. And what's really common that you hear about are these adults that are in the midst of grieving, and they get these grief hallucinations, and it's roughly 30 to 60%, depending on what studies you look at. And so if you keep that in backdrop, that's really helpful. So those are pretty common. In fact... Sean and his guests affirm that Peter and Paul are reasonable candidates for hallucination. And I've seen references to Peter, for example, who experienced deep grief and was already prone to visions. We see this in Acts chapter 10. Or maybe Paul, obviously not one of the disciples, but became an apostle. He was hostile towards Christians, very angry, and seemed to be prone to visions, as we see later in Uh, some of his writings as well. So is it possible that at least some of the apostles, including Paul, were primed for this? So maybe the likelihood that they had it would be higher than the general population. It's possible. It's possible that they had some predisposition towards hallucinations. Paul became convinced based on a single encounter, but would Peter? Well, it certainly depends on whether a person has a psychiatric illness. If they have a psychotic disorder, then you can have hallucinations over time, and it can last for months, years, decades. Okay, but even so, wouldn't that experience just fade away? They might see something, and they may see it periodically, and then they may develop a delusion about it. A delusion is a fixed false belief. So it's fixed. person cannot be dissuaded from it, but it's a false belief. I see. So a hallucination can become a delusion, a fixed false belief that one cannot be dissuaded from, maybe even in the face of persecution. Sounds like Peter to me. But how could Peter have convinced others? Paul met John and James, the brother of Jesus. Did they hallucinate too? Shared hallucinations are possible. Hmm. And while they're uncommon, you know, things like mass hallucinations, or at least what we call the same hallucination by two persons is called a shared psychotic disorder, or it's also known as foliadu, and uh, has a bunch of other names. They've called it communicated insanity, contagious insanity, uh, a whole host of other names, which I won't you know, repeat here. But basically, it's a rare delusional disorder shared by two or more people with close emotional ties, delusional disorder. Hmm. So the hallmark of these disorders is that the patient doesn't even believe that he or she is deluded. So the new adherents don't necessarily even have a hallucination? Well, again, it's a delusional disorder. So it's not a hallucination. It's a delusion. It's a delusion that they're sharing. Uh, And it's usually shared by two people with close emotional ties. And that's a really significant characteristic of that. So could you say you have close emotional ties amongst disciples? Well, Yes. So John and James could easily have become convinced by Peter? So you have multiple delusional people. We just happen to call it shared psychotic disorder. So it may be bad nomenclature, but but that's what's happening. So while the doctors were intellectually honest enough to affirm the soundness of my hypothesis, 
Don't let these out-of-context clips fool you into thinking that they share my conclusions. They do not. And why don't they? Because they are simultaneously assuming that the scriptures are 100% true, which leads them to silly objections, like hallucinating individuals. They don't report accompanying interactive group conversations, uh, nor do they report that their apparitions physically consume food items. Neither Peter nor Paul report risen Jesus having interactive group conversations or consuming food. That's from the decades later legends only. They experience his bodily presence not as a mirage, not as an apparition, not as a phantom-like image consistent with visual hallucinations as we know them medically speaking, but truly as kind of a living, physical, fully embodied form with who they interact. If we were to take the Gospels as 100% accurate, resurrected Jesus was unrecognizable one minute and recognizable the next. He appeared and disappeared and maybe walked through walls. It doesn't sound exactly like a regular person. And more importantly, as Harold will attest, these apostles, as his ways report, they didn't have mental disorders or delusions. What could possibly make you rule out mental disorders or delusions? This video already established that delusions are fixed false beliefs that, to the holder, are indistinguishable from true perceptions and beliefs. There's no indication, was it, that they had schizophrenia, that they had bipolar disorder, that they had dementia. There's no indication because these, these disciples were leaders of the church. They had many, many people who followed and they organized and directed. You know, somebody with mental illness just can't do that. First of all, not all hallucination factors are linked to mental illness. Brief hallucinations in particular happen at the same rate among those considered to be mentally well. So that's an unfair and incorrect connection to make. Second of all, there's nothing at all about leading and organizing people that rules out mental illness. There are high-functioning people at all points in the spectrum. And third, if the Bible has insufficient information to diagnose characters from 2,000 years ago as mentally ill, there is equally insufficient information to diagnose them as mentally healthy. You know, what about the other... 11 <laughs> apostles, you know, I, you don't hear that, that they had these experiences. Funny thing, we don't hear anything at all about what those other disciples do. They disappear entirely from reliable history. We can't with confidence say anything about them, much less affirm what experiences they claim to have had. They, hallucinations don't usually change belief, and they certainly don't cause a person to then die for that belief yeah see my other interactions with sean about this but the only ones with solid evidence for martyrdom are peter and paul and those are the two we're talking about there aren't good reasons to think the others died for this belief so again it's 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 possible but it's it's just not enough to explain all of these different appearances in multiple modalities, just hmm. not enough. Yeah, while multimodal hallucinations can occur, and we know they're rare, especially in three or more modes, like auditory, vision, you know, taste, smell, uh, tactile, touch, right? Um, they were reported to occur uh, commonly together in the disciples' accounts. And, you know, um, 
you know, when you have all five senses involved, this is incredibly rare, right? Well, I'm not aware of any Bible verse attesting that anyone smelled the risen Jesus. Sean's doctor guests hang their anti-hallucination case almost entirely on the idea of multimodality. Even though nothing about the experiences that convinced Peter and Paul would require more than one sense to be involved in their hallucinations, certainly we have no record from either Peter or Paul describing a multimodal encounter with risen Jesus. Now, despite the irrelevance and my general stipulation that hallucinations involving multiple senses are more rare than hallucinations involving one sense, let's see what scholarship is presented by the good doctors. But if we look at the prevailing literatures, excellent studies done by Leroy. Excellent. Now we're getting somewhere. Prevailing literature on hallucinations by someone named Leroy. Here it is. The Syndrome of Lilliputian Hallucinations, published in, um, 1922. Let's see. It's 2022 now, minus 1922, making it 100 years old. The prevailing literature being cited is 100 years old. It's seven pages of anecdotal narrative describing subjects who had visual hallucinations of little people, like the Lilliputians of Gulliver's Travels. Again, from a hundred years ago. I am General Edward Edwardian, commander of Lilliput. All hail Lilliput! All hail Lilliput! And he looked at young, middle age, and old age. And I'm just going to, you know, highlight auditory and visual. They're combined together in middle age folks, like the apostles. Okay, well, the Leroy study does nothing of the kind. So charitably, he must be referring to some more recent study that references Leroy. There's this study from Jan Dirk Bloom in 2021 that references Leroy in the title, but it doesn't seem to have this age breakdown. Interesting, Bloom's paper does seem to find significant clustering of the audio, visual, and tactile combination when it comes to non-drug-related God experiences. Maybe something worth looking at in a future video. This other 2021 study by Joanna Badcock compared multimodal and unimodal hallucinations in clinical practice. That seems relevant. It seems of those who experience auditory hallucinations, 72.1 of those experienced multimodal hallucinations. That seems high. And the multimodal versus unimodal tended to be 33 years old and single. It sounds a little like the disciples, for what it's worth. But this study doesn't match either. Frankly, I spent hours looking for a study matching what Dr. Fowler was referencing here, if not the 100-year-old anecdote paper, and I just couldn't find it. I even emailed him asking for a link, but I've yet to hear back at the time of this recording. 0.8%. If it's auditory and olfactory in middle age, it might be 0.8%. But if you looked at auditory, visual, olfactory in old folks, 0%. Tactile and visual in the middle aged folks, 0%. Without the study... I can't know the sample sizes here and to what extent 0% is meaningful. But even if I accepted this methodology, which I don't, I see no reason to include taste and smell as factors here. It's not recorded that the disciples tasted risen Jesus, nor that they smelled risen Jesus. And from the studies I did look at, sight, sound, touch is a relatively common combination. If we were to arithmetically use the multimodal prevalence rates for just the auditory visual, just those two, 
And we use it at 0.8% in middle-aged persons that were the same age of the disciples, seven disciples in John 21. All right. So just take that one case in John 21, where you had seven of them. You basically would have a prevalence of 0.8% in each individual, right? Each individual mm -hmm. disciple multiplied seven times. That means 0 0.8 times 0 0.8, 0 0.8 times 0.8 times 0.8 times 0.8 times 0.8, seven times. The computer result of this, and get this, all right? I, I, I'll look at my little note here, uh, my note. It's, it's 0 0.000000000. 0.000002%. Uh, that's basically impossible. All right. Well, now I need to return to relevance over research methodology. If a hypothesis in question doesn't require any multimodal hallucinations, let alone seven simultaneously, or 12, or 500, these seven disciples experience something is for the Bible tells me so. Obviously, I had to include that at least once. So let's recap. Sean McDowell's two medical doctor guests affirm that Peter may well have had a grief hallucination, that that hallucination could have become a fixed belief delusion, that such a delusion can be passed along to others, and that the Apostle Paul could well have experienced a post-traumatic stress hallucination. Meanwhile, they dismiss the whole notion entirely on the basis that the Bible says otherwise. Gotcha. For a more thoughtful analysis of my no-resurrection hypothesis, from world-renowned Bible scholar Dr. Bart Ehrman, tap on the thumbnail on screen, and I'll see you over there. Happy Easter! Later!